the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 169 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. We are on Twitter, at JustinHughes365, that's my account. Andrew is at AMCQ82, and our Baseball365 Podcast official Twitter account is at Baseball365Pod. On this episode, it's part one of the shortstop preview. Andrew and I are going to touch on the first 15 ranked shortstops in the NFBC rankings. Uh, There's a couple of them that are from other positions like second base shortstop and we've already covered those we'll talk about that one we'll we'll skip through those guys but the rest of the shortstops ranked one through 15 andrew and i are going to touch on here in just a moment and then part two will come out on monday morning right at midnight so as you get out monday the rest the second part will be out then all right here we go enjoy Alright, Andrew, we are here. We're going to talk about shortstops, and uh, let's talk first off just about draft strategy with this position. What are your thoughts on the shortstop position, and what are your thoughts now as you've done some drafts on how you like the ideal position, like attack on this position for you? Yeah, it's the. Uh, I think it's the deepest position besides maybe outfield. Uh, but definitely the deepest infield position. The only thing I kind of feel like I've said this before too, but I just wouldn't have it in your head that you're going to just because it's deep, you can sit back and wait. Um, As an example, the 15th shortstop off the board, Anthony Volpe is going in round nine. So it's just, it's deep but there's also a lot of them that go quickly, you know, and if you just plan on waiting, that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying you can't do that as a strategy if you have a reason for it, but uh, it can dry up pretty quick if you just think you can wait, wait, wait. And not only that, which I agree with that. I, I like like it is. A, it ha- there's a lot of players to like as you go one through 15, but five of those 15 guys are eligible at another position, too. So. They could be getting you somewhere else to where, yeah, it can, it can seem like it's really deep as you're going down. But as you, if those guys are getting used at second base, like you and I talked a lot on the second base episode about McLean and Nico Horner specifically, those guys, like when I asked you, are you, do you think you're usually starting them at second or short? You said second because there's more shortstops you like, and you move a couple of those guys off, and everybody's trying to grab more shortstops, and yeah, you can get caught left in the dark there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get started on the first overall shortstop in the ADP, and that would be Bobby Witt, who's got a 2.69 ADP. Um, that's over the last 32 drafts in the last month. Just a reminder, I keep saying this at the beginning of these episodes, but I'm going off of ADP from Draft Champions Leagues on the NFBC site over the last month, basically. So he's second compared to Julio Rodriguez at 2.84. So he's just ahead of Julio. I mean, they're pretty much even. And they're just ahead of um, Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts at 4 and 5. So on your own overall rankings, where do you have wit? Not among shortstops, but just overall. Uh, I think I would take him, at least as of now, I think I would take him at 4. And that is, let's see, I think you, I guess we'll be talking about the other guys later, like the outfielders. Acuna, Acuna, for me, Acuna, Julio, Betts, Witt. Okay. That would be my four. He's your four. So, um, for me, I think I got him at five or six. None of that is a slide on him, really. It's more just rather team build with an outfield in the first round, I really think I've become more and more of the mindset. If I'm taken early, I'd rather just build a team with a, with a outfielder. And I'll explain a little bit about that as we go. But um, yeah, there's just shortstops. I like later 
that I'd rather build around, but it's splitting hairs. I think really, and if you could have them at two, you could have them at five, six, and I don't really think that there's a problem with either one. It's just preference. Yeah, definitely. So Witt's a stud. I mean, I don't really have much to add on his skills. Honestly, the one thing that stood out to me when I looked, I couldn't. I was really surprised in terms of how good he was because I for, like I knew there were questions a year ago about when he was a rookie about you know his on base percentage, his walks, his strikeouts, and I mean he really improved just about everything across the board. You know, this is a guy he still doesn't walk. But he only struck out 17% of the time last year. And that was the big question about him coming into the big leagues. So, yeah, I mean, I, no, I'm not, I'm even, I'm, I'm liking him even more as I dug into him this week. Yeah. I think one thing to mention is just obviously he's a stud. He's top five pick pretty much universally. Um, if it's an OBP league, I think he drops. Um, I think he has to, you know, just because of the what yes. was he five five point eight percent walk rate, uh, five point three over his first two seasons. I mean, he's not gonna really help in OBP at all, whereas he can help in batting average or at least not hurt you. So that's just one little thing to keep in mind. I think if it's an OBP, even if it's a dynasty OBP, um, obviously he's still gonna go high. But when you're splitting hairs at the very top of the draft, I think you ding him a little bit, but. Um, Overall, yeah, I mean, it's all there, even in a lineup that's not that good. He's going to get tons of counting stats and tons of power and speed. Uh, probably one of the few that could realistically go 40-40, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I don't really have an issue with him. I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, I slightly prefer outfield early, but I also don't want to go too far with it. So he just went 30 yeah, he just 50, said, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You just, it's uh he, yeah, he's right there. Basically. I'm, I'm good with him where he's going. And you know, the Royals are bad, but he just had 97 runs and 96 RBI in that terrible lineup last year that say whatever you want about the Royals. Like they've added people this off season that while I wouldn't say they're great ads, like that, all of a sudden the Royals are going to go out and win 75 games this year. I'm not saying that, but Vinny Pascantino's back and he should be like, fingers crossed. He's healthy for a full season. He's got a better team around him to where he might even be able to improve on those stats, but that's one thing. And then the other thing real quick, and then we need to move on. We don't want to go too long just on Bobby Witt, but I've got that. I've got a dynasty startup in Rich Wilson's P361 league. You just brought up dynasty and I'm picking fifth. The draft starts this next Monday. And that's something that you and I have been talking about privately and in, in a chat in terms of Bobby Witt could be a guy that's there right there at five. And what do I do in terms of is, and I don't really want to go too much into it yet. I've still got a decision to make, but um, like, what do I value the power speed opportunity? Because he offers something very few do, but I'm like you said, in the on base percentage league, that is a thing. So yeah, something I'm toying with. All right, we'll move on to Trey Turner, who has an 11 overall ADP, the second shortstop here. And I want to play a him or him game with Trey to see where he'd be in your own personal rankings just against other guys at other positions. You know, usually we don't we try not to go too long on these first round players. And we've talked about them because we've talked about them a lot. They're at the top and don't have a lot of questions about them. Most of these guys are all studs, but Trey did have a disappointing first half. For those that drafted him in the first round, anyways, because at like the All Star break, he was hitting 247 with a 299 on base percentage. He still had 10 homers and 19 steals, but his WRC plus was 84. I mean, he was just he wasn't doing well. But in the second half, he was a superstar again. In 67 games, he had a 292 batting average with a 348 on base, 16 homers and 11 steals, and that WRC plus, which was 84 in the first half, was 140 in the second half. So, um, we'll get to the like him or him, but in a second, actually, I just want to ask you about him. But first, does that give you any pause for like making a first round investment? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think he's probably the guy of all of the first round picks 
call it, you know, ADPs in the top 15, that I'm the least likely to to draft or the one that I kind of like to avoid. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to push him down terribly far. He's still a stud. Um, but, yeah, like you said, the first half was just so bad. And I know, obviously, the second half he corrected it. But when you're that bad for a half, add on the fact that where you're drafting him, you know, it's a first-round pick or close to the wheel, you know, back end of the first round. But then also add on to the fact that I've always kind of felt with Trey – Like, you know, once he gets a little bit older, I'm not completely sure how it's going to look because let's be real, his value for his entire career, his fantasy value has been a lot tied to his speed. And not that he doesn't still have that, you know, what he stole, what, 29 bases was it? I believe like that. Um, But you see these other things creep in, you know, obviously he wasn't even hitting well, like 688 OPS in the first half. Um, you see that for a full half season, you see that now he's 30 and you know, the value of steals is diminishing a little bit because of the rules. And there's just enough there that I'm kind of like, I, I, I pumped the brakes a little here at pick 11. He's probably, He's probably more of like an early second rounder for me, which I don't I don't expect to even be faced with the decision, honestly, really this season. I I mean, maybe there's a point that I do, but um, yeah, he's he's not really going to be under consideration for me at this spot. So I'm going to work down the guys, see where if if we get to him just here with the overall ADP. So like at the top guys, we got Tatis, Freeman, Soto. He's below those guys, right? Yeah. All right. Aaron Judge. Yeah, below him. Derek yeah. Cole. Yeah, I'll take Cole. Otani. Uh, I think I would take Otani. Okay, Jose Ramirez. Ramirez. Bryce Harper. Harper. Matt Olson. Um, I would take. I would probably take Jordan over Olson. I know that's the other one listed mm-hmm. there. I think he's like right around there, which means like he's the back, second round the back end. Yeah, like the back end of that. Yeah, I I just think even if I was on the wheel and he got there, which he isn't in most drafts, his max pick over the last month is fifteen. But if I was there, I'm not. Say, I would be looking at him a little, but yeah, I'm not positive if I would pull the trigger. There's just enough there for me, and not a ton there with these other guys that has me just kind of like. I kind of just want to avoid it. He could be, he could be totally fine though. You know, like he, he really could. Risk. I mean, it's just the if, risk. If he's still hitting for power and still running like normal and everything's, everything's good. then yeah, he'll be, he'll be fine. And the pick won't be bad. It's just, there's just enough there for me to give me pause, I guess. I'm going to use Albert Pujols as my example. I, there are a couple guys I think of when I think of this I, I think I mentioned it with JT real Muto when we talked about him too. That when I, whenever I see these elite guys and all of a sudden I see a dip in production for a half or whatever it is, and on like I usually raise an eyebrow, especially if it's in walks. Like Pujols specifically in St. Louis, every single year was awesome. I mean, I, that's not that's an understatement. He was otherworldly, and in his last year in St. Louis, all of a sudden I start seeing him rolling over balls in the first half a little more, and his walk rate dipped. It was in double digits every year of his career until that final year in St. Louis. And, you know, he still had a great year that year, but the following, like, once he went to Anaheim, I mean, he was really good the first year or two, but it just kept dipping more and more. And, I'm again, I'm not saying that it's going to be this year with Trey. I'm with you. I think he's more of a second-round guy. That's what I put, too, right behind Harper I think I'd have him behind Olsen, but I, I could I could argue either one in that. I think I think that's where it is close is Olsen. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Second round player. Okay. I think we've gone long enough there. We'll go move on to Corey Seeger, who is at nineteen overall. Corey had a career year in all fronts, and as the price is steeper this year as an early second round pick, any hesitation on taking him this early coming off the career year? No, not really. Um, 
The main thing is just his health. He's averaged over the last three years 121 games played. So just something to be aware of. Uh, the year before this past year, he played 151. So I don't ding him a ton for that, but just something to think about. But, uh, yeah, great hitter, huge season, obviously. Uh, floor pick, unlikely to burn you unless he's just hurt too much. But, yeah, he like just as an example, him versus Trey, I mean – I think he's clearly the better hitter. Now, the one thing to keep in mind with Seager is you're essentially filling a middle infield slot with no steals. Mm. Um, so just kind of like a team construction thing, just be aware of that because that's a slot where, generally speaking, teams are getting steals from. So if you're going after that, you just have to have a plan for stolen bases elsewhere. Not that you can't have it. Corey Seager's great. I'm just saying that that's the one thing to uh, to really think about. But, yeah, you're getting four-category production, batting average, power. Lineup is better than ever, you know. So, yeah, he's uh, definitely a stud. Yeah, there's, like, the team build. That's a good point. If you've got – like, a lot of times you'll draft one or two power-hitting outfielders that don't have speed. Maybe you'll end up with two of those, and maybe you should be thinking zero to one, or try to get like think about getting a catcher who can get ten steals, or first baseman that can get ten or fifteen, something like that, just to make up for it. If you end up taking them, you know, when you look at Seager's twenty twenty three, he had his best full season in terms of the Statcast data. Twenty twenty three was actually similar for him when he hit three oh seven with fifteen homers and fifty two games played. And that was the COVID year, so it was shortened. 2023 looked almost identical in the underlying data for the entire season. He did it over, but he did it over 119 games. You know, that's something that can get overlooked. If you look at a season stat line and you, and you didn't have him last year and you're not like, okay, yeah, he had a real good year, but he only played 119 games. So, I mean, if he had gotten himself to like 140, 150, he could have had 40 plus homers and 110 runs, 100 RBI. And that just absolutely loaded lineup. So yeah, they're like, what he did last year, he's capable of being better if he can just stay healthy and continue just having that kind of hard hit data that he showed this last year. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think we'll have plenty to talk about with this next guy. Ellie De La Cruz, one of the um, most polarizing players in fantasy baseball. Uh, ADP of 25. He's got a shortstop and third base eligibility. And... He had a, you know, his season was almost two two different parts. He came um, from June 6th to July 9th. He had 135 plate appearances, and his stat triple slash was 325 with a 363 OBP and a 524 slug. WRC plus of 133, OPS 887, four homers, 16 stolen bases. And then after that, July 10th on, in 292 plate appearances, his triple slash was 191 with a 271 on base and like a 350 triple slash with a 62 WRC plus, an OPS of 626. He did nine homers and 19 steals. So there's a huge range of outcomes with this guy in terms of if you go out there and look on Twitter and you hear people talk about him. I mean, you'll you you'll see everything. Andrew, where are you at in terms of Ellie and redraft leagues here in the second round? Oh man, it's a it's a really hard one for me. I I actually I was thinking about this. I've definitely cooled from where I was at at one point, um, but as polarizing as he is. I feel like I'm right in the middle. Like I, I see both, both sides of it completely. Um, I think he has superstar upside, but I also know that you can take risks in a draft and you don't have to do it in the second round. Um, so yeah, it's tough. I haven't gotten him yet. Uh, 
the third base shortstop is really nice when you're taking a guy early because obviously after that you can kind of just take what comes to you like we've mentioned before with Hassan Kim and different guys that have that but um yeah 33.7% K rate for the season uh but obviously just turned 22 his steamer projection is 246 21 homers, 30 steals, 68 and 66 uh, RBI and runs, and then 36 steals on uh, ATC. ATC just released their projections. So I think that there's upside from there with the steals for sure. Um, but yeah, I it, it's hard for me to be able to peg him exactly. Because, you know, you're likely getting a low OBP. Um, I wonder about his counting stats, like his runs and RBI being, I could see those being weaker than guys that you're taking in this round. I mean, we're drafting him amongst studs, you know, so it's all relative. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's also probably outcomes where he goes Bobby Witt in like 30, 50 or whatever. So I'm not going to dismiss those either. I'm kind of just in between. I I feel like if it fell exactly right, I'd maybe take a shot, but I also am okay letting him pass, I think, in most situations, just because I know I there'll be one down this list and I'll I'll bring Ellie back up again. Um I think a lot it's probably pretty clear who it is, but um as a reason to why I think you can pass here. So yeah, it's just He's a tough one, man. I, I see a lot of uh, potential outcomes. What do you What do you think on his redraft price? I think there's always going to be somebody in a, every league that's willing to take him before I will. Um, I think that's the way I'd say it. What I I want to try to give some positives. Like what I like about Ellie is similar to what I said about Nolan Gorman on second base. He seems to make adjustments. His hit tool was loudly questioned about whether he could hit and be better in the minors and. Ellie missed the first month or so of the minor league season last year and struggled in his first few weeks and then caught fire. His K rate during those last few weeks was around or below 20%. He was walking. I think he had the best walk rate of that time, and it was a small sample, but regardless, it seemed like he got better, and he came up, and he struggled. And, I mean, what I like, I'm seeing this offseason, he's working on his swing. I just sent you a video the other day showing he's shortened his leg kick, and that should help him with his timing. And that already gives me a little more hope in terms of this year. But uh, in terms of taking them in the second right now, like in the middle of the second, I'm scared to death to do it. Not sure if I can. I get it if somebody wants to try it because he has Ronald Acuna level upside this year. I mean, that's there. You could win. Like they always say, you don't want to lose your league in the first, second round. I mean, taking him in the second round, that could be, I mean, if you get the ceiling what he's capable of that could be huge but the downside is he's back in the minor leagues or you brought up another good point you know at the about his runs in rbi at the end of the year last year they had him hitting ninth so even if he is still playing every day if he's not performing their lineup has they have so many guys he can either go to the minor leagues and keep working on his skills down there or they put him in the nine hole and that's just going to hurt your runs in rbi yeah see i'll I'm going to push back a little bit on the Ronald Acuna upside because the thing with Ellie that I feel like you just have to mention is his K rate. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at the very top of the draft in fantasy in any given year, you don't see a guy that strikes out 30% of the time. We just don't draft those guys in the top five or the top six. You know, so and I'm looking at him right now, like literally with their K rates line, it just he has to chop that. He has to. Now, I'm not saying he won't or he's incapable. He is super talented. 22 years old. He can improve that stuff. But there's also like. A lot of times plate discipline is one of those where. Usually you either have it or you don't. I mean, granted, there's there's guys that improve some as they get into the bigs and adjust and grow as a player and stuff. 
And he's certainly talented enough to do that. But his K rate is high enough that it's just hard for me to say he has one, one upside, you know, cause you just don't see that out of the one, one guy. I mean, Ronald Acuna struck out 11% of the time, you I'm know, it's just phrase it. Cause you're right. You're what and you're who, saying is even, right. I'm more thinking, like, I'm more thinking like three years ago, Ronald Acuna, when I said that kind of upside, like 2019, that's five years ago. Acuna did have a 26 percent but um k rate at that point and he had a 29 percent in 2020 in that shortened season i was more thinking of that guy you're right the current guy no he's not gonna yeah. go hit 337 with 11 percent strikeout rate this year i mean the uh i do think that home runs and steals you could get a really high output i mean that's clear we all pretty much know that you know but until there's more walks, less strikeouts, just getting on base more and being more consistent. I think the runs in RBI are probably likely to drag him down. And, you know, I'm not positive on the batting average either. But like I said, I I totally get it. Like this, this is a pick that um, it's not like I think it's bad. I, I see the, a lot of ceiling, especially – you know, long term, he's got his whole career ahead of him, and there could just be huge, huge home run, stolen base seasons. But um, I, I kind of think of guys like one that popped into my head was Luis Robert, mm-hmm. and um, there was another one I thought of earlier today. Just in terms of like, you get all the steam on these guys when they first come up, and then you see them play for a while, and it like. You know, you notice that the the shine isn't quite what you thought, and I could see that. Um, not that I mean, obviously, Luis Roberts still a really good player. He just came off a really good season, but I also know that nobody's as high on him as they were at that time. You know what I mean? Because they've seen some of the warts pop up, and yeah, I, I could see Ellie being one of those guys unless a few things change, but. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of upside. He's he's a fun one for sure to talk about. I'm rooting for him. Whether whether I own him or not, I don't know how you can watch Ellie De La Cruz play baseball and not just be a fan. Like it's it's so fun to watch. He is very fun to watch. Yeah, I like him a yeah. lot more for the dynasty than I think in the re, than the redraft. I think that I I I don't know. I believe he's going to be one of those people that keeps working on his tool and keeps getting better. But I don't I don't know like. We're st- he's still only 186 or no actually no he had 400 I was looking at his minor league he's he's yeah, had less than a, yeah he's had less than a season and yeah. yeah I just think he's going to be one of those that might take a little time to get there all right uh Francisco Lindor uh ADP of 25 so he's basically going right there with Ellie de la Cruz um Lindor stole 31 bases with the new rules he stole 26 in the previous two seasons combined obviously if people thought he'd go 30 30 again he wouldn't be going 25th overall so I think the age and you know I guess he's getting discounted for the age and maybe the pop-up and the steals but steamer projects 21 steals for him would you over or under the 21 Uh, that's probably about what I would project. I'd say, maybe slightly over. Yeah, I think I think there's something with these new rules. I'm just gonna like if if I see somebody bounce up significantly in steals, I'm gonna assume it's the rules. And if cause if the data shows a, a decent drop, like I mean that's uh you know a third less, I'm probably gonna take the over in almost all those st- situations. What are your thoughts on Lindor this year? Uh, I like his cost. I think it's about right. Um, essentially 26 and 20 home runs and steals last three years, average strong five category guy pretty much does everything. Doesn't hurt you anywhere. I think even when you get like a down season from Lindor, it's still pretty good. You know, he's kind of proven that. So yeah, I have, I have no issues with him. Um, I think he's kind of like high floor, high ceiling, um, contributes across, you know, all five categories. So you're not, 
you're not like uh, when you go into future rounds after that, it's just kind of a nice base. And um, you can kind of do whatever after you take guys like him or anybody in the first round that's doing the same thing. So, yeah, I like Lindor. I haven't gotten him yet, but I'm definitely willing to draft him. It just hasn't fell the right way for me. But, um, yeah, six. he's had six plate appearances since 2019 that haven't come in the top four of the order. So he's all, he's going to, you know, he's going to hit at the top of the lineup and a lot of counting stats, all that. So yeah, I'm good with him. 25, 25. That's if I was projecting homers plus steals, that's about where I would be with him. And you know what I was saying about wit Lindor's a big reason why I'd rather take an outfielder over wit in the first round as I'm looking more into these positions as we're doing more of this data research. Like I'm like, I'd be thrilled to take one of those outfielders and get like a Lindor or the next guy we'll talk about here at the end of the second, top of the third round. I just, I like, I prefer that as a team build. I see more shortstops that I'm liking at this point as compared to outfielders that are going right. Like there aren't, there aren't many outfielders going right around here. So I think for a team build, I think that's why if I picked in the first half of the first round, I'd rather go with an outfielder if possible. Mike, uh, Mike Kurland in my draft currently, he took, he went Betzlandor. Really? That is just that is just like it's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, it is because you've either <laughs> got a middle in like you got second base yeah. short or you've got an outfielder. That's beautiful. Yep. Yes, I I really liked it. Yep. Okay, we'll move on to Gunnar Henderson. He's thirty four overall, so he's on the other side of the wheel. Just the first half of the third round here, and you know, I he had the anti Ellie De La Cruz season. Actually, in April and May, in 184 plate appearances, he had a triple slash of 201, 332, and 370 with a 100 WRC plus. So he was right there at league average with a 702 OPS, five homers, two steals. And after June 1st, he turned it on in the final 438 plate appearances. He hit 276, 322 on base, 534 slug for that triple slash with a 133 WRC plus, an 856 OPS, 23 homers, and eight stolen bases. So Steamer projects a 261 batting average for him this year with 27 homers and 12 stolen bases. Over under best of the three, Andrew. Oh man, I think it's really close i i will go over i like gunner but i'm not super confident i think it's close <clears throat> i think i'm over in it I, you know i it, i think he's got mvp upside i think you probably wouldn't disagree with that but wouldn't surprise me at all if he went out there and had like a 30 15 30 or a 30 20 type season for baltimore i feel Similar with Gunner, like I did with Cases. Steamer going a little conservative with the projections because he was a rookie who struggled in the first half of his rookie year. And yeah, I think I'd be projecting like 280 with, you know, a little more than 27 homers and about 15 steals. So I'd gladly take him at that 2 3 turn the more I've looked at this. And the fun part of him is you can have him at third base or shortstop, which gives you a little flexibility. Which also opens up late in the draft. You can take like a corner or a middle infield later as you're filling up your final slots. I just, I think there's a fun part of having flexibility with that guy. And you know, with that lineup also, and he's going to be hitting in a really good part of it, that the counting stats are going to be beautiful with it too. Yeah. The one thing I'll say with Gunner, the pretty clear um, issue with him are his splits. Mm -hmm. So against righties, 272, 336, 549 slash. Obviously, that's great. 141 WRC plus. Lefties, 209, 293, 324, 75 WRC plus. It's pretty stark. I mean, it's that's pretty stark. Now, I don't think – I think he's a good enough prospect and young enough that I don't think that that's going to affect him this season. Or I don't, I don't think it's likely to. But I think it's come something to keep an eye on for the future because he did have a little bit of that in the minors too against lefties and just something to be aware of. But, yeah, big arrow up in Dynasty. I mean, he's uh, he's really good, should help across the board. But I'd watch. I'd just watch the how he's hitting lefties thing. 
Is he a first round dynasty startup guy or would you have a more second round? Uh, without looking at names, probably like late first, early second. Yeah, I think that's about right. All right, we'll move on a couple more picks to Bo Bichette at 38. He hit 306 with 20 homers and five steals in 135 games last year. 69 runs, 73 RBI. And, you know, when I look at his year-by-year stats, I was looking at it and the question popped in my head. Does this feel like this is like a floor stat for Bo at this point? Because he's a model of consistency. You mean like in terms of what he did last year? Yeah, what he did last year. It almost feels like that's almost his floor these days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, last three years, 20, uh, 25 steals in 2021, 13 in 2022, five last year. So kind of strange. It's like the backwards of what everyone else is doing, running more. He is running less. <laughs> Um, even in terms of attempts way down, but I still, I don't, I wouldn't be that surprised if he bounced back up to like double digits. I think the 25 is probably unlikely, but, um, I still think he's a potential five category guy. I mean, 312 expected batting average, 306 actual batting average, you know, 299 career. He's going to help you there. Lineup should be better. I mean, the Jays, the Jays lineup in 2021 had third most runs scored in baseball, 2022 fourth. And last year they were tied for 14th in, uh, in runs scored. So I would think the lineup is better, but you do look at it and it's a little like they, they need to sign somebody. I mean, they, once you get past the top few, it's, it's not the best. So curious about that. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, I think Bo's pretty solid pick here. Um, I definitely was not in on the whole whatever he was going last year, four or five overall. I don't think I had him on any teams. But this feels a lot more appropriate. So, yeah, I don't mind it. You know, Bo is actually the number two shortstop on the auction calculator if you look at project like on steamer projections. Now, I wouldn't take him there. I think his NFBC price is actually just about right on where he should be ranked. But he's a heck of a safe grab there in the third round. I'd probably be more likely to grab Altuve, who we talked about last week, if he was there. But if I took an outfielder and, like, an arm in these first two rounds, I'd take Bo here in the third and feel pretty good about it. He's just He feels like a solid single if you take him right there. You know, like It doesn't feel like it's going to be a miss. Probably not going to be knocking out of the park, but he's just a solid single right there. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him steal more than five bases, but yeah, we'll see. It'd be real curious. If he goes through another year of stealing like five to eight, I think his value will will go down further. Like Steamer still projects him for 12 steals. That's why yeah. he's higher. And if he doesn't do, if he's then that five to eight range again, yeah, I'm with you. He'll, he'll, lose, he'll lose some buzz. Speaking of buzz, next up is C.J. Abrams at 40 overall, so third rounder. Uh, Abrams hit 245 with 18 home runs and 47 steals. Players who drafted him last spring were rewarded, but now he's a third-round pick. And, Andrew, I was originally going to hand this to you, but you th- you said you wanted me to do it so because uh, we both have pretty strong opinions on Abrams, so I'm just going to go here. And I'm going to start out with the positives. Abrams, 18 home runs. That doesn't look like if you look at that barrel, his total number of barrels, and like, you know, like you said, about half of the barrels are typically homers. He's not far off of what his underlying stats show he should be. I think he should have had like 15 if you look at that. And the speed, it's real. But to me, this is more about the other three categories and the risk that comes with them, you know. Abrams hit 245 and his expected batting average was 248. So that means that was just about right. And with him not barreling the ball too much and his exit velocity was 87.4, it's just this guy is not one that I would expect to be hitting much higher than two fit like 250 unless he unless something changes with him. When you look at his uh, monthly splits, they're ugly too. 
Um, I went and pulled out his batting averages in OBP, and here are the monthly splits. He had a great, what was the month of July? That one was incredible. He hit 327 with a 391 on base percentage. But here are his batting average and on base every other month. You got 225 with a 296 on base. In May was 247 with a 280 on base. June was 216 with a 247 on base. July, uh, August, he had the big July. The August was 226 with a 261. In September, 228 with a 307. And his WRC pluses by those months were 84, 88, 55, 142, the big month, 67, and 96. So this guy had a batting average north of 250 in one month of last year, and his bat and his on base was over 300 twice, and once was 307. So if you remove his best month, I'm just gonna like, and I decided to be fair. I was gonna remove his worst month and kind of see what his stats look like if you just took his best and worst month out. And if you did that, you'd have 105 games played. So we're talking like two thirds of a season, and he would have. 230 batting average with a 291 on base with 14 homers, 28 steals, 50 runs, and 52 RBI. So you add another third of that right there, and you do have a 2040 guy with 70, you know, 70 to 75 runs in RBI with a 230 average. And some would see that and say, sign me up. And and they might think maybe he can even get better as he's getting older here. And maybe that's true, but I personally feel like there's a lot more risk in this pick going backwards than it going well. I know the Nats are bad, and that does help the Capes for keeping Abrams at the top of that lineup. But if he has like a 290 on base all year, there's a chance they could just take whoever's playing well and put them at the top of the lineup and put Abrams in that nine hole. We've seen it happen before with other teams. And go look, I, like I want to use the Cardinals for an example. You know, again, better org, but. Tommy Edmonds, I've been saying for a while, he's a bad on base percentage guy, and it caught up to him this year. Now he's in the nine hole, like he was all most of last year with Brennan Donovan and Lars Newtbar up at the top. Edmond has more friendly fan, fantasy friendly skills than those guys, but that doesn't matter to smart organizations. And what if like Dylan Cruz is tearing it up, or they and they decide to move him to the top of the lineup, or you know somebody else who's playing well, and next thing you know, Abrams is at the bottom, and if he's Doing that, that that's just going to hurt his runs in RBI. Also, his I like I expect the steals to be there, but I just I don't know about the rest of it. If Abrams was uh, Abrams was going fifty to seventy five picks later, I would say it's okay. He's going to steal more bases than those like Andres Jimenez type middle infielders going five rounds later. But people look at that power and speed and ignore the rest, and I think he's going to be subpar at all three most likely. Bad lineup, bad OBP means less scoring opportunities. And if the Nats get sick of that subpar OBP, he could be under 70 runs and 70 RBI down there. So, again, yeah, it's the cost. I don't see, like, I think it's much more likely that he either doesn't return the cost or, you know, it, like, breaks even. Like, I see it much more likely that he, he does that as compared to matching like matching what you're paying for him i just think it's you're it's there's a lot more risk than reward for me personally yeah uh i know we've talked a lot about about abrams and i'm in complete agreement for the most part um i i the best the best way i can describe it for me and i i know i mentioned it in the previous podcast with horner um and I do think Abrams has more upside than Horner. I want to say that. But I'm not trying at this stage of the draft, the third round, I'm not trying to take somebody that I feel can actively hurt me in the power categories, which are the most important categories. Um, now, some will say he hit 18 home runs last year. That's pretty good. You know, he's 23 years old. He's a high-end prospect. But if you look at all of his batted ball data, his barrel rate, his hard hit, all of it, all of it, it's it was terrible. And, I mean, I could make the argument that 
it's more likely than not he doesn't get to 18 home runs. If he, I'll say this, if he gets to 18 home runs, 20 home runs, like somewhere in there, he's probably going to be fine because the steals will be there. Um, I don't, I don't really think it's that likely that he moves to the bottom of the lineup just because the nationals are so bad. I think he's probably going to have that spot for at least most of the season score a good amount of runs. I know the lineup's bad, but when you're at the top of the lineup, you're still going to produce some runs, but I don't know how much I love him for batting average RBI non-existent. Um, and I just think you have to think about each one of these categories, you know, obviously they all matter, but yeah, it's like 5% walk bad lineup uh, last season. So he, in the last month he's drafted as the 30th hitter off the board Last season, in dollars earned, just using the auction calculator, 15-team league, normal settings, he finished as the 53rd hitter. He's being drafted as the 30th. So there's some growth also just being built into the, the price, you know? Um, and, yeah, I guess, like I said, this, I, the, the power – is where I'm having the issue with this pick. I think that there's a chance that he hits 12 home runs, 13 home runs, 14 home runs. Honestly, I think there's a chance he hits less than that, but I'm just trying to be fair, you know, but uh, yeah, combine that with the lineup and everything I've said, I, I can't get there on this third round pick. I think there's other ways to get steals. I know that's why he's being taken here because people see, 60 stolen base upside, you know, and he has it. But again, with the, the context of the league, the value of steals being down a little bit because steals are up. It really has to be an eye popping number. If it's 30 to 35 steals, it's going to be a terrible pick unless, you know, unless the power really takes a jump. So, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at. I do think that there are top end outcomes where he could be fine or even exceed this price because he is young enough and he is talented enough. They've called him like the next Trey Turner in fantasy for a while, you know, and that's where the people that are supporting this cost are at. But when I look at all of the metrics from this past season, he is just, he is going to have to be a better hitter this season than he was last season to, make it work at this price in my opinion so yeah i do i do think that 2060 is in there i think it's possible but i also think like you just said 12 like i would be thinking more 1250 1240 1250 something like that is more likely and yeah you're just putting yourself in a hole early where power i mean you've talked a lot about how much how important power is Okay, uh, let's just move on. I think that was. I think we um, hit our time allotment and some on Abrams. We should have called it. We should have called it the Ellie and Abrams podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the next three guys that are on the ADP, we can skip over. It's Matt McLean, Nico Horner, Haseon Kim. All three of them were discussed on the second base pod. If you want to hear about them, go listen to part one of that position preview. Andrew and I definitely had some pointed thoughts on Nico Horner there. And we're going to get to another that I think may get some talk in here, and that is O'Neill Cruz at 88 overall after hitting 17 homers and stealing 10 bags in 87 games in 2022. Cruz was a buzzy name last spring, but unfortunately he injured himself in the first week of the season, missed the rest of the year. So, he, I mean, it was basically a lost year for him with just a handful of games played. Not even worth talking about what he did in those games. But him playing... You know, I think him getting back, he was pretty close to being ready to play, I think. And I think he's had a pretty normal offseason and should be good to go for 2024. So what are your thoughts on Cruz here as a 6-7 round? That is that about where he was going last year? It feels like it's almost the exact same slot. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's um, maybe slightly lower, but it is close. Uh, I think... Of all the guys going in the top 100, 
this is probably the biggest my guy. Um, and kind of what I mentioned at the when we were talking about Ellie. To me, O'Neill Cruz is a reason to pass on Ellie in round two. Um, and I like Ellie. I like both of them. They're both super tooled up. It, some will say lazy comp and all that. I mean, got even down to the cruise part. You know, it's just, it's crazy. But similar build, similar age. I mean, O'Neill's a little bit older. Um, Ellie, more po- prospect pedigree, but not by a ton. I mean, O'Neill Cruz is an elite prospect in his own right, too, coming up. But if you look at their tools, just their pure tools from hit tool to power to raw power, to, you know, arm, all that, everything, speed. I mean, there's, there's small variations. Like O'Neal's got a little more raw power and Ellie's got a little more speed. But other than that, they're very, very similar. Steamer projection. And this is, I kind of took an average of steamer and ATC. Ellie, 247, 21 homers, 33 steals, and like 70-70 runs in RBI. O'Neal, 247, same batting average. 24 homers, 21 steals, and like 83-69. So close on basically everything, a few more homers, a few less steals. Ellie, 96 WRC+, plus. O'Neal, 105 and 110, depending on which, which um, projection system. So all to say... I like both. What am I going to do when I like both? I'm taking the guy that goes in round six instead of round two. <laughs> it just makes all the sense in the world to me. I mean, if you if you tell me, and I know he's coming off the injury, is an ankle injury, and he was pretty close to healthy at the end of the year. So I'm not that worried about it. He's an athletic freak. I mean, I expect him to be fine going into this season. But if you told me that either one of these guys shot way up and had a superstar type of season – it wouldn't shock me that much either way. So why am I taking one in round two when I can get what I view as very close in round six? I'm not saying it's exact. I will give Ellie the park is better. And I think the stolen base upside is a little higher, although we haven't seen O'Neill with the new rules either. He did steal three bases in the nine games that he played. Um, but yeah, I, I love him. I, I just think that you're not really getting guys with tools like this and you know locked in playing time and all of that with upside that I believe that he has in this range of the draft. They go higher than this. Um, and I think it's a little bit to do with the fact he's coming off an injury and people have forgotten a little bit, you know, but I know the, the warts are similar between both players, you know, they strike out a lot. Don't walk a ton. O'Neal did walk seven times in in the nine games that he played. I not taking much from that. It's small sample. He's but, like a Joey Votto. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all to say. I mean, that's that's really the main reason when I started like looking at where Ellie was going, why I kind of just backed off because I'm like, I feel like I can get a very very similar player in round five, six, seven. So yeah, I'm way more likely to draft O'Neal than I am Ellie this season. I like him too. Uh, I haven't gotten him in a draft yet in my three, but I have a feeling I will by the end of this, you know, O'Neal kept improving his K rate as he moved up through the minors too. And he gets up to the majors and he does have that 35% K rate in his first 87 games. And everybody was just all about talking about that last off season. But are we just supposed to assume he's going to stay over 30% forever with guys like this? I feel like what he did in 2022 is probably like a floor. Maybe, I mean, obviously it could go like he could just lose his swing, but I don't know. I I think if I look at that as a baseline and I think that there's upside for more, especially with the new stolen base rules. Yeah. I think that's a great price for him here. Yeah. I'm all in on that price. I don't really need to add much more than what you just said there. Yeah, the one the one thing with those guys, just be aware of batting average. Some, I mean, I I know we talk about how much it can bounce bounce around, but Ellie and O'Neill, they're probably not likely to help you there. 
And there's a lot of guys early in drafts that can. So just be just be aware of it is all. But yeah, power and speed. I mean, you're going to get that, I think, here. And yeah, sky's the limit. They're they're fun guys to watch. Yep. These are the guys you want to pair with trying to get a strong batting average guy who maybe doesn't provide as much in the home runs and all that stuff. I think that these guys pair well with them, too. All right. uh, Xander Bogarts is next at 13th. Uh, He is 111 overall. We touched on his steamer projections on episode 156 when we did the steamer over and unders. And I remember us both thinking the power projection was too high, like we undered the 20 homers. And I think we both overed the steals, if I recall right, with the new rules. Maybe like a 15-15 guy with a solid batting average. I think that's kind of what I'm looking at him now at A's at what he, what I see him as today. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that I think we, I know we brought him up. I just forget which ones. I think you're right on the that we overed the steals, but yeah, he he's gone from five to eight to 19 steals the last three years. Obviously, you know, Padres, they seem to run more than a lot of teams. So that could some of that could stick. I don't know about all about 19, but um, some of that could definitely stick since 2018. Xander Bogarts batting averages 288, 309, 300, 295, 307 and 285. Huge help in batting average. Going to going to play a lot. Hasn't in that time frame. Hasn't really missed games. I mean, I think 18 games is the most he's missed in any season. So, yeah, solid contributor, unlikely to hurt you. Um, I think it's about right. I think the price is about right. I don't, I don't think there's a ton of upside, but I don't. you don't need up huge upside in every pick. Steady guy, lock him in. Um, I think you'll get pretty good production. Yep. All right, we'll move on to 14 and 15. And that would be Dansby Swanson at 124 overall and Anthony Volpe at 131. Uh, him or him on these two? You know, what do you think? I actually don't feel strongly about it. Do you have a preference? I'm taking Dansby um, personally, but I, I don't like – I like them both. Like, I think I'd take Dansby to win four of the five categories if I was just looking at them for this year. Hitting in the lineup where Dansby is, he could have 180 runs in RBI if he's healthy. Volpe, you know, he could hit at the bottom of the lineup for the Yankees again and have 130. I'm not saying it will happen, but it's very possible. I I, I don't think they project him to hit the, the top right now in the roster resource. Obviously, that could change. No. But yeah. if Volpe do, does improve and works his way up to the top of that Yankees lineup, which is doable, he could win this. But I still don't think it would be a lot by a landslide. So I think I'm going Dansby over Volpe, but I, I like both guys here, actually. Yeah, yeah, I like I like both. Um, I, I kind of view Swanson as Xander without the batting average, like typically not quite as high a batting averages, but just solid, steady in the lineup every day counting stats, you know, pretty good or, you know, decent power, decent speed, like nothing crazy, not a high ceiling, but a high floor. Very, they're similar to me. Um, 10.3% walk rate highest since 2017 for Swanson. So I think he's pretty self-explanatory, just generally safe production with Volpe. I, th- I think I might take Volpe over Swanson, but it is. I do think it's close. Um, man, he he like wasn't even that good as a hitter, and still went twenty twenty mm-hmm. in his rookie season, one of fifteen in Major League Baseball to do it last year, and he has the lowest ADP of anybody. Or I'm pretty sure this is right of any of the players that went twenty twenty last season. I believe he has the lowest ADP. So, yeah, like I said, he wasn't he wasn't great as a hitter. Played 159 games though, 601 plate appearances. Um, yeah, I kind of trust with a guy like that too that he can build on it and maybe just get a little bit better as a hitter, and then, um, yeah, hopefully just everything improves even further. But yeah, it was. It, 
just such a it was kind of a strange year for him because it did almost seem like he wasn't good. But then you look up and he's going 2020. How many rookies do you think? Oh, he wasn't that good. But they went 2020. It's like the first one ever. I mean, it just that's such a rare thing, you know, so I thought it was very different. But um, yeah, he Volpe intrigues me for sure. I haven't I haven't drafted him yet, but uh, I kind of like this range for like Swanson and Volpe. I kind of like where they're going. Okay, this is going to wrap up part one of the shortstop preview. Andrew and I will be back in a couple days. Monday morning, we will post part two where we talk about all the rest of the shortstops after 15. So I hope you all enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 